0: This show is sponsored by FIS. Welcome to Breaking Banks, the number one global fintech radio show and podcast. I'm Brett King.
1: And I'm Jason Henriks. Every week since 2013, we explore the personalities, startups, innovators, and industry players driving disruption in financial services.
2: From incumbents to unicorns, and from cutting-edge technology to the people using it to help create a more innovative, inclusive, and healthy financial future. I'm J.P. Nichols, and this is Breaking Banks. Well, welcome back to the show to Greg Palmer, VP of Finnovate, and your host on stage at Finovate. It's coming to be that time again, September 12th through 14th in New York will be Finovate fall. Greg, what are you
3: looking forward to for the next Finovate? Yeah, thanks, JP. Always a pleasure chatting. And certainly, I think this is going to be a fun one. You know, we were able to run a Finnovate fall last year, kind of in between uh, COVID waves. And this year, it's definitely a much more relaxed situation. So in some ways, this is kind of our first real return to New York post COVID, oh, post-COVID is maybe a misnomer, but we're seeing substantial uptake in terms of uh, a greater audience than we had last year, some really cool presenters coming up, and there's just a lot of fun things that we're planning this time around. The Finnovate Awards will be on the night of September 13th, kind of in the middle there, and then Finnovate fall, yeah, 12th through 14th. Um, If you haven't been to a Finnovate in a while, this will be a really good one to come back to. There's a lot of interesting new pieces for us to chat about. Well, and the centerpiece
2: is back-to-back demos, uh, seven minutes with uh, a a gong awaiting you if you
3: violate that time frame.
2: What are the demos looking like this time
3: around? Yeah, so it's really interesting. There's a couple of uh, fun facts about our demoing companies. The first one is that 60% of the companies that we'll have on stage this time around are brand new to Finnovate. We've never seen Mm. them before, which is you know, we always try and get as many new companies as we can, of course, but this is high. Typically, you know, it's much closer to a 50-50 split. And over the last couple of years, it was sort of leaning even more towards the established companies who have been there before. So to see so many first-timers coming to the stage, I think, is really good. I think it speaks highly of what's happening in the industry. Um, but also, this is kind of the result of some targeted outreach that we've been doing to make sure we're out, going out and bringing those new companies in. Um, the other really fun fact, more than 70% of the companies we have are launching new companies or launching new technologies from stage. So, um, you know, again, this is something which we obviously really love to see. We love it when companies bring new ideas and new pieces to us. But to have so many young companies, so many fresh companies coming in and bring new fresh technologies for us, is uh, it's really good to see coming out of the pandemic, so many new companies getting funding and being... Uh, being excited to come to Finnovate and show our audience what it is that they can do. Well, you mentioned
2: that at least part of the reason is uh, some specific outreach that you've done. What was the reason behind that? Why are you seeking more new companies and maybe earlier stage companies?
3: Well, there's kind of two reasons for it. Part of it is, of course, self-serving. We know that this is something our audience wants to see. Everybody loves to see new companies, new ideas they haven't seen before. Um, so we want to make sure that we're providing that for people and giving them a way to keep their finger on the pulse of what's coming. The other one is, you know, we take our responsibility inside the fintech ecosystem really seriously, and we recognize that we're in a position to be able to offer a lot of support to new companies and new ideas. And so, you know, this is something which we looked at coming out of the last couple of years, how could we help make the show accessible and keep these companies coming, thinking about Finovate for the first time? And so we looked at it both from that standpoint of it's good for us, it's good for our shows, and good for audiences to see it. It's also good for the industry to take some of these companies and reduce the barriers for them to be able to get up in front of an audience like ours, who really has the ability to dramatically change the futures of the companies that do well up on stage. We've seen this happen time and time again. And so for us, that kind of marrying those two pieces together, um, makes it fun for us, but also we we like th- what it does for the industry as a whole. And we like using our own influence to kind of support some of those companies who really need it, because it's not easy to get a new company out of the gate to get that critical traction. And so for our part, as much as we can, trying to make the show accessible and fun for those groups is really positive. And it's sometimes hard to break the gravitational
2: pull of the big companies that are uh, getting a lot of funding and solving the problems that are kind of already well-defined that people, whether it's consumers or bank partners who are saying, we know we have problem X or we're trying to do project Y. And so this is a chance to go see some vendors. And Finnovate's always been about a lot more than that. So I love the idea of uh, purposely extending the reach and finding maybe some things that aren't exactly in the mainstream yet today.
3: Yeah, well, it's fun for us. I mean, one of the fun things about Finnovate has always been you might come and see some flyers, right? You're going to come and see some technologies, to your point, that you have a really well-defined problem that you're tackling, you have a well-defined solution. But there needs to be room, both at Finnovate and in the broader fintech ecosystem, for companies who are trying new and interesting things that haven't been done before, and it doesn't always catch on. You know, I remember back when we had companies who were playing with the Google Glass up on stage. Can I bank with my glasses? Right. And obviously, that didn't go anywhere, but it was still fun to see it and fun to get this idea. You know, what can we do? What's possible? And so I think, you know, we're maybe at a point now where as an industry, we're kind of asking ourselves that question. What's possible again? Maybe we have less need to be kind of cautious and conservative and more of a need to go out and explore and find new types of problems to go and tackle because I think the pandemic has done a lot to show us that there are huge gaps in where people uh, can find financial wellness and the banking services that we're offering to the general population. There's still a lot of work to be done, and I don't think you solve those problems by kind of doing what you've always done but 10% better, even though there's a massive amount of money sometimes in doing that. The most interesting ones for me are always the ones that, you know, really we haven't seen before. People bringing new ideas from creative sources into us. Well, Oren Hartari
2: said that the light bulb didn't come from incremental innovation on the candle. Right. <laughs> right. So being able to find those new groundbreaking ideas, and you you talk about the pandemic being a major influence on the world, obviously, but certainly the financial services and fintech industry. And you know, are we or are we not in a um a, a recession right now, right? We we have so many conflicting economic signs, uh, rising inflation, but yet you know, low unemployment. It's certainly something that's on the mind of financial institutions. I just saw a survey that Gartner did in July where they said, you know, what investment investment categories would you cut in, you know. Economic pressure or recession. Number one was investments in M and A, mergers and acquisitions. Um, th- this is 128 CEOs and CFOs. Last on the list was investments in technology for improved efficiency and scalability. And when I saw that, I was worried that that means um, exactly what you just said. How do we do what we've always done? You know, ten percent better, or or you know, maybe more accurately, ten percent more efficiently or cheaper. Right second to last on the list was investments in product innovation for growth so we'll we'll see if survey results match actual behaviors but i think that that's critical and it's something that we've been spending a lot of time thinking about and talking with executives about is while you may need to cut some costs in the short term you also have to think about where are you going to invest that savings because you can't cut your way to greatness and you know the long term trends of customer needs and demands aren't going to change and you still have to be able to invest in capabilities
3: that will allow you to meet those needs. Yeah, well, I think this is one of those fundamental balancing acts that fintech in particular really has to try and pull off because you need both sides of this, honestly, for a healthy industry. And if you completely ignore the incremental improvements, you know, the idea that we can do this 10% faster, 10% cheaper, you miss out on a lot of things. And obviously, this is technology that needs to be built. These are processes that need to be improved. But at the same time, if you ignore kind of that bigger picture, what does the landscape look like five or 10 years from now? You leave just this gigantic unguarded wall where companies who are outside of the financial space can start coming in. And I think this is where we're at right now. You see the enemies are at the gates. You know, there are giant companies who are looking at bringing their excellent customer service, their customer pleasing technologies into the financial arena. And those companies don't get repelled by a reduction in costs. They get repelled by an excellent new customer experience, by a new product that gets built, by a new way of thinking about things. And so I think this is where, you know, the industry as a whole always has to try and find the balance here. There's been times where I think we've missed on either side over the past 10 years. And I like to see us coming back into the kind of more prospecting stage, you know, FinTech is kind of cyclical, obviously, there's sometimes you get a a wave of new companies and new ideas coming through, those kind of filter down, we find some winners, more and more VC dollars go up towards those winners. But eventually, you need a reset, and you need to go out and farm a bunch of new companies with new innovators. Um, And and I think that's where we're starting to see that this year at Finnovate Fault, we're seeing this maybe refreshing, and a number of new companies coming in, which speaks to the fact that I think the venture capitalists are recognizing this and they're starting to now go out and prospect again and say, you know, we want to, instead of throwing $50 million at one idea that we think is going to win, we're going to go out and fund 10 companies, $5 million each, and sort of see what happens. And a lot of VCs seem to be doing this right now, which is why we are seeing more of these companies at our shows. Well, I want to come back and
2: talk about that and the venture capital. But but first, I want to go back to what you were just saying a couple of minutes ago, And I agree with you, you have to defend and extend the business you've already invested and build up. You have real life customers buying real life products and services today, generating real life revenue. And if you do it right, real life profits too. And I I, I guess just my only argument to that is no one needs to convince them of that half, right? Because you're Right. right, you have to do both. But that part is well known. It's the other part is how do we convince uh, leaders to do things that are, we know to be important, but they don't necessarily feel to be urgent because it feels like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know all of that. I know we need to do some cool stuff and we need to generate growth. And that means we need to innovate and try some new things. But boy, right now, I just really have to, you know, get some costs out of this process and whatever. And to your point, you really do have to do both. Well, let's talk about the the venture capital and funding equivalent of this. How are you helping to connect um, maybe some of these earlier stage companies to venture capital?
3: Yeah, no, I'm glad you asked because we've got a new program that we've been launching, which uh, we started to do it before uh, the pandemic. We tried it once in March of 2020, and then obviously had to table it for a little bit. But we're calling it Startup Booster. And the idea is you know, early, early stage companies can come to Finnovate at an extremely discounted rate. Um, these are the companies that we expect to see on stage in a year or maybe in two years. And they're able to come and meet with investors um, in kind of a rapid fire, uh, you know, quick networking type of session. And when we initially proposed this, we were nervous that we wouldn't be able to find enough venture capitalists for all of the companies that we wanted to bring in. And we tried it at Finovate Spring and actually had really strong uptake. We've got so many VCs and, and big name VC firms who are participating, who are raising their hand and saying, yes, please introduce us to these early stage companies. So it's something which I think, again, is, you know, more of a, there is obviously something in it for us because you know hopefully these companies do come and turn into Finnovate presenters. But again, this is how we can support the ecosystem. By creating these matches, we can put companies in touch with a source of funding for them. We dramatically increase the likelihood that those companies will end up coming to something important later on. And so for us to be able to take these early stage companies and just put them in the same room with some of these venture capital firms and you know, you've know, got three minutes, go. Um, just like everything we do, the time pressure has to be there, right? You have to do your homework. You can't come in and be long-winded about it, but um, it's a good chance to uh, to get your message out there. And at Finnovate Spring in San Francisco, uh, that was the last session to shut down. We started it a lo- at the same time as a number of other kind of meetup sessions. And that startup booster venture capital meetup really lasted for a while. And part of the thing
2: for these early stage companies is for first-time founders, it can feel pretty binary. Hey, we're really smart people. We put this thing together and we're either going to go raise money or we can't. And what a good venture capital partner will do is really help them shape that idea, help them find that product market fit. Maybe you have a new capability, so now something is possible that wasn't possible before, but if it's not solving a problem that people care enough about, then it really doesn't matter how cool the technology is. And so being able to have
3: those conversations early on is really critical for those early stage companies. Yeah, well, and one of the things I've always enjoyed about Finnovate is that sometimes we put people together um, just by putting them in the same room, they kind of bounce off of each other in a really interesting way and there've been many companies who have an idea of kind of who their target is or what their eco their their market is they'll hear from somebody who say actually have you thought about x you know give them a new idea and that that feedback really early on can be valuable to to a huge degree so companies coming in being able to um You know, Try out a couple of different messages on a couple of different VCs and see what resonates, I think, is really positive. Also, it's good for them to see what happens on the demo stage and get a sense of kind of what it takes to get to that level, because I think a lot of them do aspire to be there. But I think being able to have those conversations early on, it just opens the door for this creativity, for somebody to come in and say, you've got really cool technology. You're not maybe pointing it in exactly the right area. Here's somebody or just something to think about, maybe, is the way to to put it. Yeah, it's
2: really um, a different kind of window on what we think is happening today and what we think might be happening tomorrow. And another window for you, you mentioned this is the Finnovate Awards. Tell us about the different categories and what are you seeing? What are the kinds of nominations that are coming in? What are the areas that are um,
3: getting increased attention these days? Yeah, no, absolutely. So the Finnovate Awards are designed to recognize people who do good things in the Fintech space, but maybe aren't in a position to get up on stage themselves. You know, not every Fintech innovator can demo something. It takes a lot of different groups to bring a new idea to the market. And so we wanted to recognize the banks, the you know, the, the partners who come in and kind of take the technology that next level from Finnovate stage to the real world. And there've been a couple of really interesting ones this time around. You know, Some of the categories we expected to be popular remain popular. The financial inclusion category continues to be really strong. The embedded finance category, as you would probably expect, is, is a really strong one. But we had a couple that were really surprising this time around. The enterprise payments category really uh, blew up this year. It became a much more competitive category. So many strong entrants came into that one. We also saw a dramatic uptick in the InsurTech category. And then in the RegTech and um, separate categories, the core service and back end category. Both of those two saw a dramatic increase as well. And so there's this kind of greater emphasis being placed on Innovation in what you might consider to be kind of the unsexy side of FinTech, right? The, the regulatory environment has never been one where people like, you know, are clamoring to see the solutions in that, but obviously it's a huge pain point. And so there's a number of companies who are doing really strong work and trying to make this as simple as it can be. The backend and core services provider as well is another one where it's really good to see people putting so much effort. Into these spaces, and then of course I think you're being proud of it, raising their hand and saying, "Hey, we did this cool thing." Um, a lot of times in fintech, I think there's certain sides of the the ecosystem where people do good work, but they don't feel like they can brag about it in the same way because it's not you know a pretty new mobile solution. It's really heartening to see some people in this in these spaces being able to say, "Check it out, we've built something. It's cool. It's working. It's having a real impact in uh, the real world." and you know the unfortunate reality is we only have room for a handful of companies in each category to pass on to the final stage, but um, it was very difficult for our judging pool to make some decisions in some of these really crowded categories, which it only says good things about the industry overall. Well, I'm really glad to hear that financial
2: inclusion is still important. I'm sad to report that same Gartner survey I just told you about. Mm -hmm. That was number two after investments in M&A. 39% said investments for improved sustainability and reduced environmental impact. Maybe not exactly the same thing, but I think file it under that corporate and social responsibility heading. Um, it, it, when it yeah. comes down to it, if it's our earnings at stake, uh, maybe that might be optional. Um, you mentioned enterprise payments. how How do you define that category for the Finovate Awards?
3: So, I mean, the the simple version is it's just kind of business to business payments, any payments between two corporates. So the distinction is just either uh, you know this as opposed to a person to person or a bank to person payment. I think that's important
2: for at least two reasons. One. Uh, as we've talked about on the show many different times in many different ways, um, while we're still in the pretty early stages of the consumer fintech revolution, I mean we're barely out of the starting gate in you know business and enterprises. As banks are still many still struggling to just improve their core business of of lending to small businesses and medium sized businesses, um, this idea of uh, business to business or or uh, consumer to business payments it's so much more robust than you know peer-to-peer right that that's really pretty yeah. simple i need to get twenty dollars to greg i can do that pretty easily if um you know i need to get uh twenty thousand dollars to greg's business and we need to understand well what is that payment is that taxable uh, you know what's it for how are you reconciling that how am i reconciling and accounting for that? Um, You know, is it a contractor payment? Is it against receivable, et cetera, et cetera? I I, I think there's a lot of room to grow there. And I very much have my eyes on any innovation around that.
3: Well, I think certainly the industry agrees with you that there's room. And so it's nice to see people going straight at those problems and tackling them head on. Yeah. And, And the
2: second thing around that is even just more broadly, as I think about the incumbent financial institutions, I'm in the middle of uh, teaching at the various graduate schools of banking. And the one I was just at a couple of weeks ago, I did a straw poll in in two classrooms. Just raise your hand if your bank, uh, would you say your bank's in the payments business? And that means more than you you, you offer some sort of peer-to-peer payments. And only about 40% of the hands went up. And I think that is a fundamental building block for incumbent financial institutions going forward. Uh, they have to be able to participate in some form of payments, right? You have customers that not only you know, maybe need to borrow from you, maybe need to store some money with you, but they need to move that money. And um, as those use cases get more complex, as we just described, being able to help solve those pain points yourself or with some partners, I think is going to be a part of really creating value for those customer bases. So I'm excited to see who the winners are in that category.
3: Yeah. Well, and when you look at some of the other categories, you know, payments is almost a prerequisite for a lot of the other things. If you want to talk about embedded finance, payments right. is going to be a part of that conversation. If you want to talk about small business banking, payments has got to be a part of that conversation. If you want to look at, you know, payroll or helping you know, people retain talent, so many different aspects will end up having a road that flows into payments eventually. So, you know, maybe this is more of a matter of people kind of looking at the payments that they, they've they been, that they've had in Place and kind of raising their hand, and saying, "Check out the payment side of it," rather than look at what we did with that payment side of it. Maybe that's partly where this is coming from. But it is really clear that it's going to be incredibly important for banks in a lot of other areas.
2: I, I totally agree, and especially as it relates to embedded finance, uh, nobody wants a third party um, relationship anymore. They just want you know the job done, and increasingly, that's getting done by non-financial partners and you know, the punchline I used to say for a long time when Uber was still a new and interesting company is what's the payment experience with Uber? Well, there isn't one, and I don't want a payment experience. I want to ride from point A to point B. Absolutely. And, And so many of embedded finance companies are doing that. Take the financing piece out of it or the payment piece out of it, right? Make it invisible, make it embedded. And so banks really have to figure out if they're going to have a role in that Um, How do they play? And to your point, they have to participate in payments. Yeah, no, definitely they do. So- one other thing that you have been doing in the evolution of finnovate over the years where you started as a uh, completely demo-based show end-to-end demos is you've been adding other kinds of uh content speakers and panels the all-star uh, analyst panel all-star investor panel all of those uh, good things so uh, any of those that you particularly want to call out or you're excited to see coming up at finnovate fall
3: well, I think there's, uh, you know, I, I invite anybody to go and take a look at our speaking faculty in general because there is just a really strong group of speakers across the board. We've got some great keynotes coming up. We've got, um, you know, really good sessions with uh, investor all stars. Any of the people who are on our investor all star panel would be excellent speakers on their own right. And to be able to have all of them in one conversation is is really excellent. Same thing is true with our analyst all-stars. Again, each one of them would be quite comfortable taking you know 15 or 30 minutes to walk you through their pieces. And so to have so many of them coming in is, is really excellent. But I think the one that I have to call out is the FinTech Fight Club. The cage match, we tried that at Finovite <laughs> Spring this past time around. It was very well received. It was super fun, I think, for all of us who participated in it. And you know, I'm talking now to our illustrious match referee who did not have an easy job. JP had to keep everybody going and try and control the chaos that was unfolding up on the stage. But um, it was a really fun way to end the day. and And we'll be happy to do it again this time around. Well,
2: uh, I was a fill-in referee for Jason Henrik's, who had really developed this idea, uh, the FinTech Fight Club. And the idea is, yes, it's fun. And we we kind of add some hype and hyperbole around it to make it interesting. And I understand it was actually uh, one of the best rated sessions at at Finnovate Spring. But what we really are trying to do is get some real conversation going. And I I love the all-star panels that you have But many times um, you have these people agreeing with one another and saying, yes, as the the other speaker said, you know, so-and-so. And And we really wanted to have more of a battle of the ideas. And, okay, so you have that opinion. Why? And let me challenge that. And let me um, make you put some context around that for me because I see it differently. And that was really what we tried to accomplish. And we'll actually uh, play a little bit from that, um, from Finnovate Spring coming up here in in just a minute. But uh, coming up. Uh, so so Jason will resume his rightful spot as a uh, referee and MC and um, Lindsay Knockout Davis, uh, who <laughs> who who was not one of the winners in Finovate Spring, despite a very strong fight. Uh, she lost a uh, judge's decision, as did Ron the Shiv Shevlin. <laughs> Uh, but she's going to be battle back again with Mary Wisniewski. And um, we've got some interesting questions posed for them.
3: And we really expect a, a pretty big brawl in New York. Well, and I think one of my favorite things about it, you know, you've heard it on this right now, as you've been talking, we agree a lot, you know, and that's a, that's nice to be on that. But there needs to be a little bit of conflict sometimes. There needs to be sort of different sides of an argument presented. And the FinTech Fight Club is really fun, no doubt. But I think it's also good just to remind people that, Even if you're listening to somebody who's obviously very intelligent, whose opinion you respect, it's still worth it to kind of question where their opinion is coming from. And their perspective might lead them to a different takeaway than you have. And and that doesn't mean that yours isn't valid. And so, you know, as much as it is fun and lighthearted, I think it also does something really important for us, which is just remind us that you can challenge some of the pieces of wisdom that are being presented to you. And and a little bit of debate is good. Different perspectives are good. And hopefully it encourages people to look beyond kind of the the first thing they hear, think about the second thing, think about the third thing and start to try and generate their own opinions based on a little bit of a pro and con. So, um, you know, the, the format is designed to be entertaining, but it's also designed to be very thought provoking. And to make people challenge some of the ideas that they may be holding without knowing that they haven't really challenged them before. So hopefully it's another fun one. And I can't wait to see. Uh, I'm sure Lindsay is uh, already uh, licking her chops at another chance at it. And Mary is going to be great at it as well. So it should be a really fun way to uh, end the event on the 14th. Well, in the interest of conflict, I should disagree and tell you it's not. But uh <laughs> I know I, now you can't. Yeah, I put yeah. you in a position you can't say. Great point, Greg, or else yeah. you're falling into the same trap.
2: Yeah, no, but I do agree it is going to be a good session, and um we're we're gonna hear a little bit from the last one. Um, so before I let you go, though, uh it's always a chance to uh promote the FinTech podcast, which is a uh, uh we're proud to host here on provoke.fm uh Give us just a little bit of a preview of what's coming up next on the fintech podcast uh, uh, the Finnovate podcast and anything um, and any
3: of your recent episodes you want to make sure we highlight. Yeah. well, I think the um the podcast is always really fun on because I get to speak to people um, who are just really interesting, intelligent people. And that's my goal is just to try to talk to as many different people in the fintech space and find out what they have to share that is unique. And so I think, um, you know, I would encourage anybody to obviously like, subscribe to all of these pieces. I just did a really fun episode uh, with Tiffany Montez um, talking about how to make customers happy, right? This is a really yes. difficult question. Is it, do we even want happy customers necessarily? I mean, this is, we we get into this kind of things, um, but she did a couple of great sessions for us at Finnovate Spring that just kind of prompted this conversation. Um, and then of course, immediately after Finnovate Fall, we'll be doing interviews with all of the companies who win best of show there. So a little bit more information on those ones who kind of rise to the top in the audience's estimation. Um, But there's always interesting people who come across my desk and as much as possible, I just try to turn them into, you know, 15 minute conversations and and share them with people because there's a lot of intelligent people in the space. And the more you can kind of hear from them, I think the more uh, it'll be easier to get past some of the own, your own hurdles you might be facing. And of course, I set it up to be 15 minutes because my attention span is basically seven minutes after working at Finnovate. Now it's so already, I'm stretching myself to get to 15. That's the longest conversation I think I could have realistically. So um, for anybody who's a similar kind of mindset as myself and wants that shorter form, um, that is a great way to do it too. Well,
2: I will, on that note, ring the Finnovate uh, bell here and I'll end <laughs> our session. But Greg, thanks for joining us as always. And we'll look forward to seeing you at Finnovate Fall in New York, September yeah, 12th my-
3: through 14th. September 12th through 14th. My pleasure. Anybody listening, you have a 20% discount code. Breaking20 will save you 20% on your tickets. We'd love to see as many of you as possible in New York. And thanks, as always, JP, for having me.
0: From crypto to ESG and real-time payments, the world is changing fast. These new realities need bold thinking. It's time to start your day with a bold move. But bold moves take preparation. To help you stay ahead and reach the future faster, FIS brings you RISE, sending the latest industry expertise, news and information directly to your inbox. Fuel your competitive advantage and get the latest FIS expert insights on news, trends and disruptors influencing the financial services market today. A bold future awaits you. Sign up now. Go to fisglobal.com RISE that's FISglobal.com slash R-I-S-E to subscribe. FIS, advancing the way the world pays, banks, and invests.
2: Well, to give you a little bit of an idea of what to expect for the Fintech Fight Club coming up at Finovate Fall in New York, let's take a look back at the cage match edition from Finovate Spring in San Francisco. To set the stage a little bit, first of all, you'll hear Greg Palmer, the VP and host and MC of Finnovate, really embrace his inner Michael Buffer as he gives the full throated introductions to both myself as referee, by the way, complete with cummerbund, bow tie, and referee's whistle, as I come out holding the championship belts and he announces the fighters.
4: Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for the main event, the Fintech Fight Club Cage Match Edition. Introducing our referee, JP Nichols. (laughs) Our first contestant, Wade, Move, and Groove, Arnold. Our second contestant, Ambika, the Bay Area Bruiser, Sharma!
2: Now, at this point, Ambika Sharma and Lindsey Davis are coming out, and they grabbed the a ladder from backstage to, as a part of a prop, right? To give you an idea that this is a, a, a wrestling match, cage match, where no holds are barred, and they're actually going to um, use a ladder to beat the opponent's.
4: And our third contestant, Lindsey Knockout Davis. <laughs> and our final contestant and reigning champion, Ron the Shiv Shevlin. <laughs> we haven't even started yet and it's already getting violent up here. I'm going to turn it now over to our match referee, Woo. JP. <laughs> I'm getting out of here.
2: By the way, each of the fighters, well, I should say three of the fintech fighters have... Uh, silk robes with their moniker broidered on the back. Now I say three because Ron Chevelin, who won the first edition of the FinTech Fight Club, didn't bring his robe to San Francisco. So we ask him about that.
5: <laughs> Where is your robe? My robe is hanging in the FinTech Fight Club Hall of Fame. Something for all you losers to aspire to. Oh! Oh! Somebody's too good oh! for the gown?
2: It's starting already. He's
6: arrogant.
2: Can we have the slides up, please. This is the FinTech Fight Club cage match. <laughs> this is a tag team event. This is for the Undisputed World Championship. We have three five-minute rounds, and the first round is... Oh, there's the cage. First round.
4: Uh, let's get her ready
6: to <laughs> Oh, yeah. Woo! Let's do it.
2: Ron the Shiv Shovelin versus Lindsey Knockout Davis. <laughs> oh, And you are fighting about, we've already, we're already past peak crypto.
5: Ron, this champion, you go first. Boom. We are nowhere near peak past, past peak crypto. Not even close. Here's why. Number one reason, if you remember back a well long number of years ago, P.T. Barnum said, there's a sucker born every minute, and as long as there's a sucker born every minute, we're nowhere p- near past peak crypto. Another reason though, and more seriously that why we're nowhere near past peak crypto, is that this is a blip, in the, it's a correction in the scheme of things, and yes, it was a big dip <laughs> in prices, but there's huge demand out there. And as you know, many of you in the, from the financial institution perspective start to offer crypto, and you heard some vendors today who were demoing their capabilities, you're going to help legitimize it, make it easier for consumers to invest in crypto, better to integrate it into their portfolios, and ultimately integrate it into their payments. So we are nowhere near past peak crypto.
7: We're not past peak crypto, sir, because for none of those reasons that you just stated. Actually, it's much bigger than that. When I think about peak crypto, when I stand on this stage thinking about a new land, it's one where more than 2% of the population own 98% of Bitcoin's wealth. One that is more democratized and accessible and regulated with liquidity and people have access to products and services that we haven't even thought of yet. Someone tap oh. Wade
1: wants tap
2: it. You want oh, to tag in. Oh, Ron Shiv,
1: the Shiv. <laughs> We are way past peak crypto. I mean, you think about it. Community banks who have never sold corn futures, have never sold securities, have never helped in investments of any kind from an equities or security standpoint, now all of a sudden are going to sell cryptocurrencies? That seems like a good idea. Once you know the bubble has burst is when people are running after cheap money in order to figure out a simple way to not do any good for their customers. Oh, another tie again.
6: When I think of crypto and I'm at the peak, I see a vision where there's inclusion, where people have access to more financial services. Today, that those financial services that are not provided to many individuals. I don't see that yet. So I don't say that crypto is at the peak.
5: You only think we're past peak crypto because you sold your crypto. Oh. So go for it, buddy. Now that you're out, we're past the peak. <laughs> that
1: might have been below
5: the belt, but I'll allow it. I mean, 17,000 was
1: good for Bitcoin, right? Oh, you win. <laughs> <laughs> we're done. I'm good. Next sir. That's it. Well, we'll end that round early then.
2: So, all right. Next round. Ambika, the Bay Area Bruiser Sharma Woo-hoo! is going to take on Wade, move and groove Arnold, and your fight is over. Traditional bank M&A is dead. Ambika, Ooh. your move first.
6: I wish traditional bank m and was dead because we would actually have innovation then. It's not dead. We are a country where there are such things as too big to fail. As long as that exists, banks cannot fail inefficiencies will not get rid of so they only have an option to buy other banks as a way to grow it's not um it's a fact that today big banks are not growing organically so the only way they have is either invest in technology to be competitive and or buy their way out so they could, that's the only way to have growth as long as we have too big to fail
1: who wants to punch in on that one no. i'll punch in on this one So as the M&A is dead, absolutely from 10 billion to 110 billion. We've seen a handful of institutions try and merge together because they're going to go knock Jamie Dimon out when they get over 100 billion in assets and they can't compete. They aren't getting at a big enough scale and all the deposits are still running to the biggest banks. And then under 10 billion, the community banks are figuring out how to differentiate and redefine the term a community and they have this little Durban kicker that's letting them make a little bit more money than normal. So is M&A over? I think so for now.
7: Uh, oh. I'm um, with wait on that one, but my perspective is what's dead can never die from our vantage point when I used to analyze this data at CB Insights, banks were the biggest losers when it came to M&A in fintech because of Mostly they had to hold that same acquisition cost as goodwill on their balance sheet So it was far too costly especially at the valuations that we've been seeing in the frothy fintech market however M&A could survive in a scenario where banks actually want to get up off their seat and bring new products and services to their customers
5: <laughs> You were right and here's why traditional bank a, a, a traditional bank M&A is nowhere near dead nowhere near dead number one reason why if you're the CEO of a 100 billion dollar bank making 10 million dollars a year, you think if I can just merge with another 50 billion or 100 billion dollar bank, I'm going to be making 30 to 40 million dollars a year. That's what's driving bank M&A, and that's nowhere near dead. Number two. Is that correlated to sucker born every minute? <laughs> that's my motto, man. I should have come <laughs> up with that one. Number two, as long as there are bank executives who think that the path to Gaining economies of scale is by buying other banks with similar products and services We're going to continue to see bank mergers You were right in that. It's the wrong thing. We should be scaling through Technology, but traditional bank M&A is not dead. You want to get back in? Are you good? Anybody yeah I'll else? Come in real
1: quick because who wants in?
5: just aren't playing out are they? Nope, they're not, <laughs> but it's not dead.
6: I will say the bank MAs are becoming more expensive, they're not dead, but they're becoming you more expensive. Later. Yeah. Here we go. Um, they're becoming more expensive. We can use the example of US Bank Corp, which is aiming to purchase Union Bank. They purchased, they put in a price tag for eight billion and it's held up for regulatory approval. So what do they do? They create a hundred billion dollar fund to try to get regulatory approval. So I think the mergers are not dead, but they're becoming more expensive. So whoever has the money will win this game.
7: Who wants in? Not only are they getting more expensive, but again, it's dead because we've got a more tight regulatory system. You've got the FTC looking at every single deal, putting their hand in a pot, trying to prevent innovation. So what would incentivize you to want to go to town on something where you're going to get hung up in regulatory complexity and the deal's never going to get done? It's just a waste of time.
2: Any others? The hooks and jabs are coming fast and you know, what, I might as well. Because All right. Before that
1: bell rings, I've I'm, I'm, got one more in here because the synergies aren't happening. Wall Street's not rewarding these companies, and they aren't getting to a big enough scale that they can actually do anything. And then Wells Fargo has so much regulation oversight, they have to organically grow. So the top banks can't do any more M&A. They don't need any more ATMs and branches. And so everybody else is just going to try and get together and figure out FinTech. (laughs) All right. (laughs) That takes us to round
2: three. Lindsey Davis versus Wade Arnold Oh, <laughs> and your fight is embedded finance. It's a good thing for banks.
7: While bank M&A is dead, okay. embedded finance is not. I see a huge opportunity for banks to actually start to use the technology that has enabled FDIC insurance that they're already collecting as partners of prominent fintech companies we know to open up access and find new ways of monetizing their customer base instead of feeing them to your point about the billions of dollars that they collect, it's only 2% of their revenues to give up an overdraft fee, an antiquated thing that most banks are starting to go to zero on but the big ones are too hung up to give it up. Embedded finance is the opportunity to displace that business model and start to create a new revenue stream by offering things like earned wage access or tapping into unpaid out wages that are already hung up just in ECH technology like you sir are in for it to uh, in.
1: I may agree with this one but I'll argue the other side <laughs> <laughs> so if I'm a bank CFO I hear this thing called fintech oh man non-interest income cheap deposits and a rising interest rate what could be better Oh, I don't know being two three times removed from the customer I have BSA and AML policies that I got to figure out for somebody somebody else's customer and underwrite that No, thank you. I already can't figure out my own compliance program for people that walk into my branch So there's no freaking way that I'm going to figure out how to do this for my customers customers customer
5: Wade 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 Bank's customers are already disintermediated from their (laughs) banks. But embedded finance is the best thing for banks that has come along in 15, 20 years. This isn't about a threat, about being displaced. This is about new distribution channels, new way of reaching the customers that banks and credit unions and banks in particular have already been serving both on the consumer side as well as the small business and larger commercial side. This is about partnering with folks who already have relationships with your target market and providing new ways. It's about new distribution channels, lower cost of customer acquisition, higher profit margins because you're not wasting all that money on marketing and wasting all that money on silly front end little bubbles and things like that that you think are serving the customer (laughs) they're not somebody else is already owning that interface somebody already has a relationship with that customer and this is the best thing to happen to to banks for a long time you want to get in on this sure
6: um so embedded finance is a good thing for banks. What are banks? It's a Banking is a relationship industry. And what is embedded finance? It's someone else coming in between, being the face of your relationship. So if you are the CEO of Wells Fargo, do you, well, let's pick another bank, Chase. <laughs> I don't want to be the CEO of Wells. Um, if you're the CEO of Chase, do you really want someone else to be controlling the relationship and the direction and the strategy of where you want to be 10 years down the line? I don't, that's why if I were, you know, CEO of JP Morgan, I would invest in technology and I would be at the forefront of that relationship management. Um, But there are pros and cons to everything. So the con is you are letting someone else control the relationship. The pro is, well, you get high volume business by partnering into embedded finance, let's say life insurance. It's very difficult to get people to buy term insurance. So sure, let's let's, let's partner with Ladder, provide that service will get high-volume uh, business for low margin, but it's a new stream of business. So as the banking industry is getting challenged, uh, the relationship industry is getting challenged, I, as a CEO of Chase, would want to look at new streams of business, and that would be my main reason as to why I would consider embedded finance. But I won't stop there. I would do what Jamie Diamond's doing and invest 10 billion and get at the forefront down the
7: line. Who wants I'll take, it?.: I'll take it back. No, no, she's my girl. So back to your point, your legacy way of thinking, sir, (laughs) is actually accurate. There are firms that are going to think like embedded finance doesn't matter to me. They're not going to be here. The best banks are already doing this. It's already happening at scale, embedded finance is unlocking opportunities that many of us are taking advantage of today. We just don't even realize it.
1: Yeah. Well, a lot of my bank customers, they really like the service. Do they? We're we'll just
7: nervous.
1: <laughs> Aren't we, Ron? <laughs> All right, well,
2: just in time for the bell. So that brings us to our speed round. So short answers only. So Ron and Ambeka, you can get us started, but I want to hear everybody
5: short answers only. The most important technology of the next decade will be what? I am the champion. There is no such thing as a short answer. From Ron Shevlin, OK. <laughs> Who but
2: writes five
6: times yeah, on forms a bring month. Bring out
5: the ladder. <laughs> the most important <laughs> the technology stage. of the next decade will be <laughs> okay. blockchain.
6: It will be a combination of cloud computing and blockchain. Um, I wish it wasn't cloud computing, but banks are so far behind, so it will be a combination of cloud computing the and blockchain. The
5: question is the most, not the two most, <laughs> I'm sorry. The most follow the rules.
6: I am. It's a combination. <laughs>
5: All right.
7: What application of the blockchain, Ron?
5: I don't see that up on the board.
7: <laughs> Wade, <Wait>, you're it.
5: <laughs> the biggest
1: technology change that's going to happen is AI. Because I know we all love these four-story buildings where people go through workflow engines, but it turns out computers are pretty darn good at making decisions.
7: All right. You have last word, Lindsay. Payroll connectivity. It's what I bet my life on. It's what I bet my career on. And that's why I am do this every single day. I really do believe in the power of unlocking the paycheck for millions.
2: Well, that gives you an idea of what the FinTech Fight Club is all about. And you can hear Lindsay Knockout Davis pursue a new belt against Mary Roller Girl Wisniewski at Finovate Fall, September 12th through 14th in New York.
0: That's it for another week of the world's number one fintech podcast and radio show, Breaking Banks. This episode was produced by our US-based production team, including producer Lisbeth Severance, audio engineer Kevin Hersham, with social media support from Carlo Navarra and Sylvie Johnson. If you like this episode, don't forget to tweet it out or post it on your favorite social media, or leave us a five-star review on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Facebook, or wherever it is that you listen to our show. Those actions help other people find our podcast and in return, that helps us build an audience that can be supported by sponsorship so we can continue to provide you with our award-winning content every week. Thanks again for joining us. We'll see you on Breaking Banks next week.